The book of Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. Christopher Edwards um, graduated from Yale University and he decided that he would uh, go out to Berkeley and work on a master's. He was in his early 20s and he arrived in California, his native state, and went out to the campus of Berkeley, at Berkeley to enroll in the uh, master's program. He was standing on a corner uh, of the street and a man came up to him and offered him a fun-filled weekend on a farm outside the city. And Christopher Edwards was never one to turn down a weekend trip. And he loved to be outside the city on the farm and so he agreed that he would take this package. He didn't really understand what it was about but he chose, he, he, he made the choice to go out on this weekend retreat. And it turned out to be a weekend with sun, young, moon. And what started out to be three days fun-filled on a farm outside of Berkeley turned into seven and a half months of maddening brainwashing. And this clear-thinking, um, articulate, intelligent young man in his 20s became completely passive and subservient, a servant to the new Messiah. And he was willing not only to die, but to kill in order that the world order could be restored to moon. And for seven and a half months, he lived in this terrible cult. His family, his father, initiated a kidnapping. He was kidnapped off the street. And he was put into a deprogramming uh, uh, experience with a professional deprogrammer. And it took this man a year to deprogram him and to return him from his madness. And when he came back out of the darkness, back into light, he wrote a book entitled Crazy for God. And he chronicled these seven and a half months in this terrible time of his life. Many centuries before that, a man lived in another land and he too pursued what he considered to be the truth. He was born and raised in Tarsus. He was a spokesman for Judaism. He had a reputation of being a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And as time passed, he went through a radical transformation, much like Christopher Edwards, in reverse. And he came out of a cult into freedom. And because he knew what it was like and because he could see these Christians being sucked, sucked into a cult-like teaching, he wrote this letter of warning. And because he had seen its pride and its tradition and its zeal, its zeal, it seemed so right and it was so wrong, he was furious when he wrote this warning called Galatians. We want to read it because we don't want like something like that to happen to us. Now, 
You never know who's watching when you're talking on television. I found that out <laughs> the hard way. But I can tell you that the fastest growing group in America today is the Mormon, Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And shockingly enough, the largest number of their converts come from Methodist and Baptist, primarily from Baptist. And we don't want anything like that to happen to us. And what the book of Galatians is about is about this shifting from the gospel to another which is not the gospel, has no semblance of the gospel. Now last time we looked at verses 1 through 10. And in these verses there is it's divided into three parts. There is an amazement, there is an announcement, and there is an acknowledgement. The amazement is in verse 6. And Paul said, I stand amazed, it blows my mind, that you have so soon de deserted from the faith to that which is not a gospel. The announcement was this, that if anybody preaches what is being preached, even if he is an angel from heaven, or if it is Paul himself preaching what the Judaizers were preaching, he said, let him be accursed. And there is the acknowledgement in verse 10. And the acknowledgement is, I've made up my mind that I'm not going to be um, answerable to man. I'm going to answer to God and not to man. Now we must stop seeking the favor of men. Listen to me, youth. If you seek to find, if you seek to please men and you find yourself a man pleaser, you'll be vulnerable to the cults. So I, I, am, I am not going to be a man pleaser, is his commitment. Now the logical question is, and I think this question comes up often, is this. Who is to say that what Paul says is right and the Judaizers are wrong? I mean, who's to say that he's right and they're wrong? And who is to say that you and I are right in our belief like we believe and the cults are wrong? Who's to say who is right and who is wrong? It's a good question. I love to read John Claypool's writings. John Claypool was a Baptist, now an Episcopalian preacher, a minister, a rector. He said he grew up in the Bible Belt. He lived in Tennessee, and one day he was, he, uh, some neighbor, new neighbors moved in, and they had a little boy his age. This boy, his father was in the military, and he moved around. He'd been all over the world. He'd been in England. He'd been in Germany. He'd been in Italy. He said, boy, he was cosmopolitan. You know, I mean, he was a 12-year-old kid, but he had been... He'd been, he'd been there. He was where the action was. And he said not too long after he moved in, it was Sunday afternoon, they were out playing, and he said his mother called him to come in and get ready for church. So John Claypool started to leave, you know, stop playing. The little boy said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going, i got to get ready to go to church. And this cosmopolitan little boy who was with it, you know, he said, why, well, my daddy says that I, you'd have to be a fool to believe that stuff. And John Claypool said, for the first time, I was introduced to somebody who didn't believe the gospel, the Bible. And he said, I can, I, he said I can't, I'll never forget the shock of that. He said, I thought everybody believed in God and believed in the Bible. 
And he said, I got home from church that night. I went to my room and I, I went to sleep. I went, I went to bed and I, I couldn't go to sleep. He said, I was lying in my bed thinking, maybe he's right. And maybe his daddy's right. And who is to say that his daddy is wrong and my daddy's right? So that's the conflict that comes in the book of Galatians. On the one hand, you got the Judaizers with this which is not a gospel, and you got Paul dealing with these Christians who are being sucked into that. And the question is, maybe Paul's not right. I mean, what authority does he have to tell us that this is right and this is wrong? And so Paul defends the gospel. And he talks about its origination. Now I want you to look at verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 11 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it from man. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it by man. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The origination of this gospel he preached was this. Now he makes three things very clear. Jot these down. One, that this gospel is not according to man. He didn't invent it. It wasn't something he invented. Have you ever noticed that when you begin to deal with the cults, that they always have someone who has invented something you've never heard of before. He didn't invent it. Second, it was not from man. That is, it wasn't something that he just got handed down to him. And it wasn't taught him by man. It came as a direct revelation from Christ. Now, it, it should be said tonight, and it, maybe you, you need to know this, it'll help you to know this, I think, that there are no more revelations. Revelation has ceased. Revelation has ceased. No longer does God reveal Himself through, through dreams and visions. And when a guy comes to your door and knocks on your door and tells you that God has revealed something to you through a dream or a revelation, you can forget it. Now the the Word of God came through the prophets in the Old Testament, but still it was incomplete. And then at a point of time, God Himself broke into history and revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ ex cathedra. There is no longer a prophet, and that revelation that is in Christ Jesus is the full, final, and ultimate revelation. There are no longer revelations. Now, is this uh, that's being taught that we would identify as a cult, Is it something that has come by revelation to some, you know, spectacular personality? You can mark it off and write it off right then. All right, second. What about the man himself? Was this man some special vehicle, half God and half man? He makes it very clear that he is not. 
He is a man not pursuing God, but fleeing from Him. And he honestly tells us about his conversion. Notice the logical order with, with, about which he describes his conversion. He talks about before his conversion. He talks about when it happened, and he talked about the change that occurred after it happened. Now we're going to talk in just a moment at the end of this sermon on how to write out your testimony in a logical way. So when you get down, when you hear me talk, start getting ready to talk about writing out your testimony, you can breathe easy, it's almost over. But we'll, we'll set that aside before and, and after. Now look at verses 13. You've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God, look at this, beyond measure, and tried to destroy it, waste it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my fellow my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions as with regard to tradition I outstripped them all. Now, the Apostle Paul, his life before his conversion, he was a notorious man, and they knew it. And they knew all about him, his manner of life in Judaism. He persecuted the church of God. He advanced in Judaism. He loved religion, but he hated Christianity. He loved Judaism, but he hated Jesus. And he tried to destroy it. And he tried to scorch the earth with Christ. This was this man. But I want you to notice verse 15. But when he... Now, if you put a little circle around that word but there, that conjunction, G. Campbell Morgan says that's the most glorious word in the Bible. You find something moving in one direction, and all of a sudden there is this invasion of God to prevent it. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See how that word works? And here is this notorious man who is who is trying to scorch the earth with Jesus and destroy and waste the church, but God has another plan for him. Now I find a lot of encouragement when I read this because I know some people that you and I, probably you know them, we've about given up hope for them. You know any reprobates? I mean real reprobates. When I was a kid growing up, there was a guy in our community, his name was Marcel, Marcellus. That wasn't his name, it was his nickname. So named because he raped a child named Marcel. Now, that's pretty common today, I would think, but not back then. So he spent some time in the penitentiary and was released. He lived in a little white frame house. I can see it, Margaret knows about it. It's right, next, right across the street from the school. High school. Now we were little angels in high school. We'd, we'd get out in the, on, the, on, the, on the playground out there and holler at him. Marcellus, we'd call him, you know, mocking him. And he'd, he was about, that, that, if he wasn't crazed, he was after a few of us would do that a few times. And, he, and he'd chase us. We knew that would get, get a chase going. And so we'd run. And, and he'd chase us. And we'd run downtown, get in a store and hide. Little angels, Marcellus. And every revival meeting, somebody would, you know, say, well, you know, somebody needs to go and witness to Marcel, you know. 
Everybody knew him by that name. And so, you know, somebody, and, he, and well, he'd try to run them off. He'd be insulting. And I was about a junior in high school. A guy named Ray Summers, he's written some books I've got in my office, came to our town to preach a revival. And I was present the night Marcellus came to church. And I can remember how profoundly affected everybody was when he walked in. Never will forget it. And I was present the night Marcellus came forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ and was profoundly and gloriously saved. And I remember how that affected everybody there. I mean, we like to not... We, we didn't want to go home from church. And I was present the day Marcellus led in public prayer for the first time. And I am a witness to the conversion of a notorious man. It gives me hope to know that no man is beyond the transforming grace of God. And you don't have to have Marcellus' illustration of that. Paul is one of those. Penrock says, quote, Before his conversion, Paul was not disposed in any way to believe the Christian message. Fanatical adherent of Jewish religion, a religion that kept him from embracing Christ. Now, look at his conversion. But when he had set me apart from even from my mother's womb. Now, you, you, you may want to just let me read this. Let, let me read. Does that sound familiar? Listen to this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That's God's word to Jeremiah the prophet. You might want to remember that when somebody um, begins to um, debate the issue of abortion. Before you were born, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I, had a, I entered into a covenant with you. I had a plan for you. Oh, hallelujah. That here is this radical notorious, violent man whose purpose, his purpose in life was to scorch the earth and waste the church. But God's purpose for him was different. And he encountered him in a conversion experience. Now notice it. But when he had, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased, look at this, to reveal His Son in me. Now why were you saved? You were not saved so you wouldn't go to hell. That's just, that's just the icing on the cake. The reason you were saved is that He might reveal His Son in you. The word means to unveil or disclose. It means to put on public display. You were saved in order that God might reveal His Son in you. 
And we sat in, we, we were in my little class like just a minute ago, and we were talking about the incarnation. And what the incarnation is about is that God revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And every time somebody is saved, something like that's comparable to the incarnation occurs. God revealing His Son in another body, in another flesh. Nothing, anything less than that's not enough. There's nothing, anything more than that's not possible. The purpose of God for your life is that Jesus might be revealed in you. And whatever else, for, for whatever else reason He leaves you here on the earth, that's the reason you're here and that's why He saved you, so that He'd have some flesh through whom He could reveal His Son. Now look at after His conversion. He said, in order... Look at this. That I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Let me just say a word parenthetically, that when you are genuinely converted, the things and the people you once despised now become the object of your love and concern. And you start loving the, the people and the things He loved. It's not possible, in my opinion, humble and accurate opinion, that I value very much. It is not possible in my humble and accurate opinion for you to love Jesus and not love His church. For when you experience Him, you love what He loved. Um, Ron Dunn tells about his, his daddy, uh, his mother had a cat having just gotten rid of some renters in Fort Worth who had a cat. Holy cow. <laughs> His mother had this cat and, 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 and Ron's daddy just despised that lousy cat. But he tolerated it because his mother liked it. And every time, every time that the cat get around Ron's daddy, the cat boy, I mean he'd take a detour. He, he knew better than to mess around with with the guy, he, you know, the, 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 Ron's mother, the cat loved, Ron's daddy knew this, he, he knew there's some real problems between him and, and Ron's daddy. Ron's mother died. In about three weeks, all the children got together in, in the house there and, and uh, they were sitting around and, and, and in walks this old cat. Just kind of saunters in, you know, and checks out, checks out everything and walks over by Ron's father. And Ron's father reaches down, picks up the cat, puts it on his lap, and begins to stroke it. And Ron said, I looked at my sister, and she looked back at me and said, Did you just see what we saw? You know why Ron's father loved that old started loving that old cat because the one he loved, loved her. Now here are these Gentiles and no Jew would love a Gentile. Jews hated Gentiles and they were excluded from the covenant of God but now, and, and Paul hated them. I mean he'd like to wipe them all off the face of the earth but when he found the Lord all of a sudden, that, that people that God loved 
Paul began to love. Now what happened as the result of that change? Let me just touch it, then we'll get to the end. He did not immediately confer with human beings. Not much talk about human beings here. Verse 21 says that, that he, 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 uh, he didn't uh, uh, counsel with people. But for three years he went out to Arabia. It, all of a sudden it just dawned on me. Three years the disciples were at Jesus' feet. And Paul spent three years just like them. He, he, he considered himself no less than one of the original apostles. Three years out in Arabia at Jesus' feet. It took Paul some time, as it takes all of us, just to be with God. Now, there are two practical facts. I want you to get these two practical facts, and then we're going to talk just briefly about, well, we've got ten minutes, about how to give your testimony. Two practical facts. When a person does battle with God, God always wins. This humbles us. When a person does battle with God, God always wins. This humbles us. And secondly, when God transforms a life, there's always a testimony. When God transforms a life, there's always a testimony. You're going to have a testimony. Now, some suggestions, some principles about giving a testimony. You might, if, you, if you're in discipleship with Andy and Kim, you're probably learning this. So just kind of review it with, with you. If you've been 2-7, you'll know this. How do you give your testimony? If you've been saved, you need to give your testimony because you got one. All right, some principles about giving your testimony. Number one, don't preach, just talk. Just talk. Just tell your story. Two, don't generalize, testify. Be specific. Now here's a testimony I hear somebody say. When I was a kid growing up, my parents, you know, took me to church and, and uh, I grew up in a church listening to Bible stories and, and one night when I was 10 years old, I came to know the Lord and I got baptized, etc. Now, what does it mean you came to know the Lord? I mean, describe that for me. How about this? When I was 10 years old, I learned about Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. I knew I needed to be saved. When I got home, I went to my room and I got down on my knees and I prayed something like this, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you. God, I've sinned against you and I'm lost and I know I can't save myself. And I want you to be my Savior. I trust you to be my Savior. I asked Jesus to save me, to come into my heart. I committed my life to Him. I said, Jesus, I, I want to surrender my heart and life to you. I want to live for you and serve you the rest of my life. That's, you see, you be specific. Be specific. Number three, don't be vague. The longer you, you know, the, the longer you are, the lo you live as a Christian, the more mystical we like to get. You know, we throw out all these big words, you know, all that stuff. And then number four, don't defend, declare. Don't defend, declare. 
Um, you don't have to defend the gospel. Charles Spurgeon said the Bible's like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Just turn it loose. It'll take care of itself. Just declare it. There are three things, positive things, you need to remember. Number one, keep it brief. You know, the Apostle Paul in this text covers a span of 14 years in 10 verses, and you can read it in less than 10 minutes. So he talked about 14 years of his life, both before and, and during and after his conversion, and he did it in less than 10 minutes' time. Number two, follow a logical progression. You need to talk about what happened before. Now, if, you're, if you're, you were saved when you were six or seven years old, you can't tell about going down to the clubs and all that stuff. But you need to talk about before, before Christ, at Christ, and after Christ, a logical prog progression. And then number three, you need to glorify God and not yourself. Now I want to read this in conclusion. And I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. And when a testimony is a testimony, that testimony glorifies God and not any man. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you because we remember what it was like before we were saved. And we remember the day we were saved and all of the joy and blessing that has come since. And we, we thank you and we're grateful that you found it in your heart to favor us. And all that went on in preparing us for the gospel, and those who led us to faith in Christ, and all the blessing that that has meant, we praise you and thank you. We're grateful that we're not lost anymore, but forever saved. And for the love we have for one another and the love we have for a lost world. And we hear you say, Jesus, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Grant us, Father, a commitment to love and to, and to win, to proclaim to those lost whom you love. For I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Is there anybody here tonight? There are three invitations. Who needs to come and know to know Jesus Christ? There is.
the ability within God's grace to transform you and make you totally new, new species of being. He wants to do that. There might be someone who needs to come and place his life in our church or to recommit himself to Christ and to the gospel. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.